The first reading is taken from Psalm 68, verses 4 to 6, which can be found on page 582 of the Pew Bible. Sing to God, sing praise to his name, extol him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord, and rejoice before him. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing. But the rebellious live in the sun-scorched land. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. The second reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through to 21. It's on pages 1174 on to 1175 of the Pew Bibles. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, for ever and ever. Amen. Because uh, I'm down to preach on discipleship in family life today, I thought it would be very appropriate to share this with my wife, Rachel. Do you like our his and hers uh, lecterns? <laughs> this, um, this lectern was made by Albert, um, and he always used to say of his wife that she was his better three quarters, so it seems entirely appropriate <laughs> that I should have this lectern. Shall we just pray? Heavenly Father, We thank you for all that we will discover today of you and your family, of who we are in it, and of how you seek to draw us closer to you in each other. Lord, would you open our hearts 
and our lives to your love and to your word, that we may grow in our discipleship in the family you have set us amongst. Amen. Amen. Well, we probably think that the first family in the Bible was Adam and Eve and their children. But in our second reading today, we heard that Paul says that family life goes even further back than that to our Heavenly Father, from whom the very concept of family takes its name. Relationship is right at the heart of the Trinity, perfectly shared together in purpose, in will, and sacrificial love. And we are invited right into the centre, into the core of that family life of God. God makes us his children. Family life with him is our final wonderful destiny. Now I know that many people struggle to think of God as their father, and that's because of some of the appalling experiences that they have had of fatherhood in their own fathers. But in fact, it actually works the other way around. God is the ultimate example and model of perfect fatherhood, which we human fathers should be doing our utmost to copy. Many of us fail at that. In our first reading, we heard that God is a father who cares for and protects the lonely and the vulnerable. And he calls us to struggle towards his perfect expression of family life, which will one day be our own destiny to share with him. Unfortunately, perfect family life didn't remain our human experience for long. The very first human family broke down almost immediately. Adam and Eve were alienated from their heavenly father and then from each other. And their children followed suit with catastrophic fatal consequences. Our own experience of raising children may not be as disastrous as it was for Adam and Eve watching one son murder the other. But tragically, there are parents around the country who've had that appalling experience, and others here who've had different but equally devastating family experiences. But the Bible's amazing good news is that God the Father loves us and accepts us nonetheless. God takes the worst of our family experiences into himself and heals and recreates them. When we start to be open with God and others about the struggles of our family lives, however rubbish they seem to us, we offer space for God to come in and to begin to heal them. So Jesus tells us that we need to avoid two opposite poles in our thinking, two, um, two different um, problems in the way that we might think about our human family relationships. Firstly, putting anything above God, even our family, that, Jesus says, is, is basically idolatry. We can't put anything above our love for God. On the other hand, we mustn't let uh, following Jesus stop us caring for our family life. That would be disobedience, Jesus says, and he's very stern with the Pharisees who kind of think that they can hide behind devotion to God with neglecting their family life. So on the one hand, caring for our family, on the other hand, caring for God. Which comes first? 
Well, these two don't have to be in conflict. Jesus says that it's out of our love for him and for God that we can best care for our families. But caring for our families isn't just a duty. It's not just um, being obedient to God. When we learn how to care for our family, then we really please the Father. That's why he's commanded us to do it. Not as a hoop for us to jump through, but because it's the way that we flourish. When we learn how to share with and protect our siblings, brothers and sisters, which we probably did long, long ago, learned how to share and play nicely. When we learn how to spoon feed and change the nappies of our children, when we learn how to teach them to play football and revise GCSE maths, some of those dreadful experiences that we have as parents, is, as parents. When we learn how to get our parents out of bed and to hospital and take them to the toilet, which is what I've been doing with my father yesterday and the day before. When we learn how to listen to each other without interrupting, to share our values, to visit at un inconvenient moments, to grieve and rejoice together. Then we are delighting our Heavenly Father and we're growing as his children. So given what we've just learned, that God is family and has invited us to share his family life, even when our own family lives are broken, how can we follow Jesus in our family life? Well, here briefly are six powerful ways for us to work out our life with Jesus as family members. God uses adoption as a powerful image of just how willingly he includes us in his family. Do you feel like an outsider, unloved and uncared for, perhaps even by your own family? Do you no longer have any family left? God adopts you into his own family. Because of that, all of us here this morning are part of the same family, God's family. Some people go to incredible lengths to adopt their children, jumping through endless hoops and waiting what seems like forever. Through Christ's death on the cross, God paid the ultimate price for your adoption. And he waits not for government officials, but for you yourself to let him adopt you. He longs to have you in his family. So if firstly, uh, families provide the most, um, the most unconditional acceptance for us, a place for us to flourish, either our own families or God's family, God himself as our father. Secondly, families also provide us with the most penetrating uh, discipleship opportunities. This week, I was reading an author saying that it wasn't until he got married that he really discovered how selfish he actually was. And that made me laugh because I remember observing exactly the same thing about a couple of years after I first got married. Before I was married, I, in the, at the end of the day, you know, in the end, I could always go back to my own space, my own home, my own bedroom. I could always basically do my own thing finally when I wanted to do it. Once I got married, that was no longer the case. It appears that every little 
hidden, unguarded word or action profoundly affects one's spouse, one discovers. And every single thing one does is minutely scrutinised. It was extraordinary how little I found that I could get right. <laughs> one learns, but not that much. In our families, we're at our best and at our worst. Certainly at our weakest and our most tired. God uses families to show us who we really are. They can be a safe place to reveal our flaws, to support our struggles, and to encourage us to become more Christ-like. But they can also, for others, be a really tough place where we learn, where we're purified in the crucible of uh, struggle or even of hostility. How to become like gold. How to work out our Christian faith in the midst of challenge. Family life is the cold face of our discipleship and we should thank God for the privilege of it. Mike has two brothers and sometimes I see gestures and expressions of theirs which immediately remind me of Mike. The family likeness is clear. In the same way, God wants us to remind other people of him. So we need to develop the qualities which make us look more like Jesus. That's why the Holy Spirit, if we let him, is busy cultivating his fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And the challenges and joys of family life are often the very best greenhouse for them to grow in. Family life is a place for most radical witness. Most of us will have family members who are not yet followers of Jesus. Our family relationships allow us to witness to the Lordship of Christ in our lives in the most radical way. Family members are not interested in our words, but in whether we live out what we say. That is a relentlessly tough test of our discipleship. So families offer us the most unconditional acceptance, the most penetrating discipleship, the most perfect family likeness, and the most radical witness. They also offer us the most challenging leadership training programme. Families are the proving ground for our potential for leadership. As we go about loving our family, we learn critical skills in caring, valuing, choosing, and uh, choosing and pursuing goals, peacemaking, sharing our values, flexibility and creativity, endurance, discipling others, and above all, sacrificial leadership. All these will be crucial to us as we lead others. Paul recognises this. He says, how you lead your own family is going to show how you will lead in the church. You need to have learned good leadership in your family life before you can be trusted with leadership outside it. Some of you, I guess, will remember uh, President Bill Clinton's widely publicised affair with Monica Lewinsky. 
Since then, it's been a popular observation in the press that Elisa's private life doesn't affect his or her ability to do their job. Well, it's a nice idea, but it's completely, utterly wrong. Who you are in private really does determine who you are in public. If those who rely on you in your private life the most can't trust you, then why should anybody else? So learn leadership in your family. Families also gives us the biggest extended network of support. Of course, all of us have extended families, and our biggest and most extended family is God's family, into which he has adopted us. Even if we were absolutely alone in the world, as the psalmist said in our first reading, God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. He sets the lonely in families. And this family of yours is huge. It's everywhere. It's all around you, wherever you go. You could go to any country in the world, as far away as you like from here, and you would find God's family waiting for you to get in touch, ready to welcome you and to care for you, because nobody is alone in the family of God. So we all have the job of helping the next generation to learn how to follow Jesus. How do we do that? Well, Christian parents, our most important job is to disciple our children, to teach them about Jesus and to introduce them to him, to show them how to live as one of his disciples. That is, in fact, more important than teaching them how to ride a bike or getting them into a good school, because everything else is built on it, that relationship with Jesus, and because that relationship will last forever. So what does discipling our children mean? It means making choices for faith rather than away from faith. If someone were to come and observe your family life for a day or two, would they find evidence of faith being lived out in your home? When a Bible story is told in your house, perhaps you haven't thought of doing that. We can help you find books and age-relevant Bible to get you started. Come and ask. Do we run down our church leaders or fellow church members? Not long ago, someone was telling me about a member of their church who was speaking badly about other church members. My friend was hurt because they saw the people being criticised as their family. Let's speak well of one another. Do you make the most of the opportunities offered here at St Jude's and further afield, such as house groups, new wine, bears camp, or youth and children's events, to help build friendships and strengthen family faith? If you want to know more about these things, then I'd be only too happy to tell you about them. How do you speak of God and Jesus and faith? When our eldest child was about 14, she said she didn't want to go to church anymore. Some of you with teenagers will have experienced that. We listened and then said that faith was part of our identity as a family, and that until she was 18, we'd like her to continue going to church, but that she could choose not to go one Sunday a month. In this way, we protected 
what was important to us as a family, but we also recognised that she was beginning to make, need to make her own choices. Well, given that option, she in fact hardly ever took up her Sunday off and has since chosen to attend church at university. But if she had stopped going to church completely at 14, I wonder what would have filled the gap. What patterns are we laying down at home? What routines are we setting in place? So let's have conversations with our children about faith. Even if they refuse to engage with your faith, and sometimes that happens, however hard we try, are you showing them that it's important to you? And if you do have teenagers and are struggling with some of this, Mike and I be leading a parenting teenagers course starting on the 3rd of March, when together we can begin to look at some of these things and get ideas and support one another. And of course, we pick up the values of those with whom we spend time. So meeting up with other Christian families helps for friendship, encouragement, and prayer. But it isn't just a parent's job to disciple children. It's all of us, all of us here. God calls each of us to hand on our faith to the next generation so that it will endure us the light and the hope of the world. We too are to share our knowledge and experience of Jesus, to model Christian character, to, um, to draw um, the next generation into our ministry. And above all, we are to pray for them. Okay, so this is discipleship. This is how Jesus calls us to follow him as disciples. To learn to reflect him in Christ-like behaviour, to witness to him in words and actions, to serve others for him, to teach others how to do the same, and above all, to pray for them that they may know him better. And we can do this above all in our family, in our human one and in our worldwide Christian family. In today's reading, Paul prays for his Christian family that they may experience, know, and pass on the love of Jesus. So let me pray his prayer for you now. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with his power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in his family, the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.